We have 66 books in this one Bible. 1,189 chapters, 41,173 verses, 774,746 words that I believe that God inspired, that put in there, that is for us to break it apart, understand it, apply it to our lives, and let it make its uh, eternal impact on us. Now, I, I know that what we tend to do is we tend to hang out in our faves, all right? Like Psalms or like Proverbs or, or maybe the gospel stories that we learned in, in Sunday school or something like that. We might, if we have a fascination with end times, we might deep dive into the Revelation or Daniel. We might have our favorites and we go there, but we sometimes neglect other passages and therefore we neglect truth. We miss gems and diamonds along the way. When's the last time you studied the book of Habakkuk? Really? I mean, think about it. I mean, maybe those pages are still stuck together. But we're this, this fall, one of four of the Bibles, the, the books that we're going to study is the book of Habakkuk. Questioning God when God doesn't make sense. Has there ever been a time in your life when you had a few questions you wanted to give God? You wanted to just send them up. Hey, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this. Well, I'm not saying we're going to answer all of them, but I promise you, if you're ever in a season in your life when God doesn't make sense, life doesn't make sense, think, you, can't, you can't rationalize, you can't figure it out, why does bad things happen to good people or whatever the case may be. Well, Habakkuk was one of those p- books of the Bible that sometimes we neglect, stuck way back there in those, in those prophetic books of the Old Testament, and we miss it. So we don't want to miss it any longer. We want to go there. We want to lean in. And so I, I had to literally write out goals. What are my goals? in this, uh, in this journey of studying from the forgotten Bible, as I'm calling it, the Bible that we neglect or the portions of the Bible that we neglect. Here's one goal that I have is I want to do a deep dive and I want to swim wide. So dive deep, swim wide into the entire truth of the revelation of God. Now, are we going to hit all 740,000 words of the Bible, of the Bible? No, we're not. But are we going to hit all 66 books? No, we're not. There's no way we can do that and do any kind of justice of that in a year. But here's what we are going to do. Where we go, we're going to go, and we're going to go to those neglected passages, those neglected books, and I really believe that it's going to open our eyes up to counsel of God, wisdom, revelation, truth of God that maybe for years we've been neglecting. When Paul was in Ephesus, he was there for three years. He was doing work outside of Ephesus, around Ephesus as a missionary, but he's also pastoring the church of Ephesus for about three years. And then he had his succession planning retreat. And he went away to Miletus and he calls the elders of the church of Ephesus and they go there and he says, hey, I'm not coming back to Ephesus, by the way. Had to be a real tearjerker, had to be a real sinking moment for them because all they knew was, was Paul and his leadership and his teachings and oh, to have Paul be your pastor would be a pretty incredible thing. And so at this time he's, he says, I'm stepping back, but let me tell you this, what I did, my motto, my aim, my goal in Acts 20, 27, it says this, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't want to, 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 to cherry pick. I didn't want to just stay in my faves. I wanted you to get all of the counsel of God. There's so much out there. So what we're going to do, again, we're going to study different books, lost books of the Bible, forgotten, neglected books of the Bible. And one of those is we're going to study a 2400 old Semitic poetry. How's that sound for excitement? 
Doesn't that just stir you up like soaking bone marrow out of your body or something like that? 2,400-year-old Semitic poetry called the Song of Solomon. We're going to kick it off on Labor Day weekend. And on that series of messages, we're going to look at, in this order, love, marriage, and sexual intimacy. And I, I, listen, sex is not a dirty word. It is a very holy, righteous word. It's a very holy, righteous thing. And we're going to go PG-13, okay? There's even one chapter I'm going to have a hard time saying PG-13, but we'll give you the heads up on that and let you make your judgment call. But I promise you this, parents, if you aren't talking to your kids about sexuality, somebody else is. And the sooner you start having those conversations from a biblical perspective, the better off your kids are going to be and be able to make informed, truthful decisions. So my advice to you is lean in and bring them with you, uh, every one of those. But that's where we're going to go. And some of y'all might be thinking, okay, now, this is going to be one of those marriage seminars, and I'm not married, I'm single, so I'm just going to, what am I going to do for six weeks? You're going to come. Because Song of Solomon was written to women who were single, okay? I, I'm going I'm to save all the history and the back, back story to it, but it's actually believed to be written to single women. So think about it like that. So lean in and listen whether you're married or single, and let's talk about love, marriage, and sexual intimacy in that order. All right, number two is a goal of mine is to discover gems to adorn our life, all right? I want to, I want, I want to bling us, okay? I want to see bling on us because we have discovered new, new truths, not new truths in, in reality, but actually truths that we've never seen before from scripture. Truths that, that, that maybe we've neglected again or forgotten along the way. We got to realize that when this book was written, when it was breathed, the words that were breathed out, that it was actually inspired by God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. What's it profitable for? Here it is. Laundry list. Teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. He tells us right there exactly why the Scripture is given for us. It's given us for teaching. It helps us to know what's right. In a world that doesn't know what's right, in a world that's rewriting what's right, it's really nice to have a baseline out there, right? It's really nice to have something that you can bank on, something that you can live by. Well, the scriptures were breathed to tell us what's right, but it's also reproof. It helps us to know what's wrong. And it may actually call us out at times, point into our life and say, you know what? The reason you're in the hot mess you're in is because you ignored the principles, the precepts, the directions, the narrative of Scripture. So it tells us what's wrong. It also helps us to get right, okay? Helps us to get back on the right track. If I'm off track, how do I get back on the right track? And then I love the last one. It's a preventative measure because it helps us to stay right. It trains us in righteousness, it shows us the way to go so that we are under a training. And that is actually a, 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 a physical fitness word concept there. It beats our body. It trains us for the right kind of living. And he tells us in the very, that's verse 16. He tells us in the very next verse why God gave us the scriptures. Why did he give us the scriptures? Verse 17, throw it up there. That the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. 
So in case you're wondering why we come back to this book and why it's not pop psychology and why it's not Mike, the great communicator, that's the most important thing that you hear every day, but it's this and this and this and more and more of this is because I want to be everything as a man of God, as a woman of God that you can possibly be. And how are you going to get there? You're going to get there by operating based on the gems that will adorn your life from Scripture. Number three goal is I want you to walk out of here every single week with a sure next best step. That you, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, it's not going to be the same for everyone. You're going to listen to the Spirit of God. You're going to listen to the Word of God. It may be something I say that you jot down and say, this is what God's telling me. But here's what I want you to take away, is that clear next, that sure next best step. Say that last four, four words with me. That sure next best step. We all have steps, but what's the best step? What's the right step? What is your next right step as God is speaking to you? When we answer all the mass shootings that are happening in our world today, I don't have all the answers. I don't know if it's more walls or more laws. I don't know. But I'll tell you this, we need to have better humanity. We need better people. And if we take the scriptures and we only make it about making us smarter humans, we miss it. It's not about making us smarter humans. It's about making us better humans. And in James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Don't just listen and learn. Don't just become smarter in Scripture. Don't be able to debate with an agnostic or an atheist or a Mormon or, 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 or anybody else. That actually, you'll become a better human, a better person, a better man, a better woman, a better individual. That's what's going to help our society. What's going to help our marital insecurities that we're having that we are seeing as pastors more than we've ever seen before? What's going to help our marital insecurities? Is it going to be prenups? Is it going to be giving up? Or is it going to be becoming better human beings? So here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. If you've never done this, buy you one of these things. I know the electronic ones are great and you can use that if you want to and choose it. Some people do that because they can keep notes in it and all that. Uh, well, you can do that. But I love writing. I'll be 30 years in, in ministry this January. And I have every single Bible that I've ever preached a single message from in 30 years. And I have them written in. And I can go back to my very first church. Dear, it'll help that church because I was a bad preacher. And... I have every single note that I ever wrote in my Bible. And so as God is revealing himself to you, when the God of the universe speaks, I better be listening. And I better have a a pen in hand ready to write it down. And so write it, circle it, make notes, begin to figure out what is that next best step for your life. The next best step today may be this to become a better person who refreshes people. Now, where do I get that? I, want, I get it from the book of Philemon. So take your Bibles, open to the front cover, not the back. I want us all to do this together. Open to the front cover. Find Philemon. It looks like filet mignon. Almost. Just spelt different. It's on page 1,000 in my Bible. Okay, so turn to page 1,000 or whatever yours says. Or scroll to it if you've got the electronic version. 
And uh, we're going to read from Filet Mignon today. Everybody's hungry now. And as you think about this, we're going to read about a man named Philemon, call him Phil for short. Phil was an incredible refresher of people. You got next to Phil and you walked away a better person. Now, how, how encouraging is that? You, you got next to Phil, you w- didn't want to leave Phil's presence. Because there was something about Philemon that just made him rise above. You know, there are all kinds of people in this world. You're one, I'm one. I hope I'm a Philemon. I hope I'm not the kind of person that I brighten up a room when I leave the room. Think about it. I want to be the person who brightens up a room when I enter the room. I want people to want to be with me. I want people to have a reputation about myself that whenever they get near Mike, that they feel refreshed. And again, there's so many ways that you could talk about refreshing and we can break that down uh, if you will. But let's just, let's just get the premise of where I'm getting this from. So you got Philemon. It's only one chapter. It's the shortest of all Paul's writings. It's, and it's in verse seven. Okay. This is what it says about Philemon. Because the hearts of the saints, that's the believers, have been refreshed through you. Because the hearts of the believers have been refreshed through you. What a statement. What a, what a, what a, what a honor. What a, what a guy you want to hang out with. That, that, that literally when people got with this guy, they walked away refreshed. It's the, it's the Greek word anapano, and it means that to give someone a sense of relief or rest. Now think about that. When you get with certain people, they take your stress levels to new levels. When you get with some people, they're drainers. They just pull life out of you. You get next to some people and you just feel better. Then you feel refreshed. You feel stronger. You feel more confident. You feel, you feel like, okay, I, sometimes that refreshing is a challenging refreshing, okay? It's like you've been struggling with truth and, and, and lies and decisions, and they just tell it to you like it is. And so whatever the case may be, but whatever Philemon was, he was a person that when you got near him, that there was a refreshing element. There was a cool breeze. There was a refreshing breeze that when you stepped into his presence, it was like stepping out of the hot, humid weather of Northwest Arkansas right now and stepping into a climate-controlled, air-conditioned place. You can just immediately feel a difference about you. This same word in the Greek is used when Jesus refers to, uh, in Matthew 11, 28, when he says, Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you ananapao. I will give you ananapao. I will give you rest. I will give you relief. I will give you what you need at that hour. So really what Philemon was doing, listen, listen, listen to this. He was not just being a refresher. He was being like Jesus. Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you an ampapio. I will give you rest. I will give you relief. I will help you with your pain and your stress and whatever weight you are carrying underneath you. In fact, it was so much so that he did that with the saints. But when Paul was praying his prayer and as he's closing out his little letter here, in verse 20, he says this, I want some benefit. I like this. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. 
Notice how even Paul was longing to be with Philemon, was longing to hang out with him, spend some time, rub up next to him because there's so much refreshment that comes when we're with you. Now, you got to remember also, where is Paul writing this from? He's writing this under house arrest in Rome. Across sea, land, sea, then you find Colossae, where Philemon is. And you find that a reputation carries across land and sea that he has been heard, he has been heard, that he is such a refresher that Paul is writing him a personal letter back at him. But here's what I want us to understand. As we, next week, we will deal with what it takes to be a refresher. This week, I want us to deal with what is a refresher. I want to deal with the who before we deal with the what. Because if we don't get the who down, who cares what the what is? The what is a manufactured form of refreshment. The who is the most important. That means it's coming up from within in this person. That is a part of this person. We get a glimpse into the who. The being precedes the doing. Let's understand who Philemon is. Again, unpack him a little bit. He lived in Colossae, which is a, a, a town not on the sea. Uh, it, was a, it was in a major metropolitan area of, uh, of modern-day Turkey, and it was inland from the, from the land. In fact, as far as we know, Paul never went to Colossae, or he did not start the church, at least in Colossae, but he had a great relationship with them. He was very likely a very wealthy man, just from the inferences within the Scriptures. Likely he was married to a lady that we'll see here in the scriptures in just a moment. He was either a pastor or the elder of the church. We don't know that exactly, but he was certainly a leader. He hosted the church in his own home. And he was a refresher of people. And I promise you this, out of all that, the most important point was that he was a fresher of people. All the other stuff is just facts. Let's look at verse, uh, let's look at all the verses. Verse 1 to 4. Verse 1 to 7, excuse me. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. By the way, just a side note, this is the most, this is the most non-professional, uh, if you will, or uh, most personal, I should say it like that, the most personal introduction that he makes in all of his writings. The rest of his writings, when he's writing a letter, he most of the time calls himself an apostle, but this time he calls himself a prisoner. A prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, and Philemon, our beloved follow, a fellow worker, and Alphia, which is believed uh, uh, to be his wife, our sister, and Archippus, which is believed, some believe, believe it's his son. There's no evidence on that, but some have speculated. Our fellow soldier and the church that meets in your home. So the church is meeting in his home. That's where they gathered together. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he starts talking directly. From now on, he's going to talk directly to Philemon. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that sharing of your faith may become effective in the full knowledge of every good thing that, it, that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. My brother, here's the phrase again, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed 
through you. What's it take to be a refresher? Well, he gives us the answer. Verse 5, he says, I hear the reputation. Just travel across land and sea. What I have heard about you is this. Verse 5, I hear of your love and I hear of your faith. I hear of your love and I hear of your faith. And that is the key secret sauce to what it takes to be a refresher. Now let's unpack those just quickly because you can go quick and go, oh, I know what love is. Oh, I know what faith is. And so therefore, let's all pack up and go home. Wait, wait, wait. Not all faith, not all love is created equal. So let's unpack a little bit more about this faith, this love, because I think there are two internal, again, we're going to be the who before we deal with the how next week. The who, who he is on the inside, he's a refresher on the inside, and that shows, is, is seen in the quality number one of a deep love, of a deep abiding love. Let's, let's just realize this, that, that Again, not all love is created equal, that, that there are many schemas, many paradigms, many models of love out there. And if you don't think so, just go have a love relationship with somebody. Just enter into a friendship with somebody that develops into a love. I mean, we're just talking about friendships, one another brothers. And all of a sudden you share one another secret, uh, an issue inside of you with somebody else. And then they go and share it with somebody else. Their paradigm of love was that I get to take your trash and air it out to other people. Wait, that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about one another, brothers. That's not a deep love. Or, or you, you talk about a love whenever they, they bounce on you and they leave on you. What, what, that's not kind of love. What, what kind of love is that? What is the kind of love that he speaks of? Again, Philemon had this love and, and, and this how, but it happens inside of him. Look at verse 7. The very first part. For I have derived much joy and comfort. Now let's just stop there. I have derived, I have, I possess, I hold within me. I have derived much joy and comfort. When I think of joy, I think of joy as something that is on the inside, that fills you up, that satisfies, that warms, that soothes, that gives you the energy to live another day. Now you can put your own descriptor with that, if you will. But joy does that for me. Comfort. Comfort sounds like somebody putting their arms around me when I'm broken, embracing me whenever I feel alone, being there for me. What did Paul, how did Paul describe this? I have derived joy and comfort, and then he gives us the source from your love. From your love love. Your love, what it has done inside of me, has done incredible things because it's filled me up on the inside. It's wrapped its loving arms around me. It's embraced me. It's accepted me. It's been there for me. And thank you so much, Philemon, for loving me that way. Now, again, as I just described that, you go, okay, that's not the paradigm of love that I've seen. There's all kinds, again, there are all kinds of schemas and paradigms of love out there. But I want us to base it on what he shows us here is the kind of love that fills us up with joy, the kind of love that wraps its arms around us and embraces us in comfort. One of the schemas or paradigms of love that's out there that I think is a very distorted form is called the if love. The if love, it's a manipulative love. It's not real love, but it poses itself as love. It says this, if you love me, you will. If you love me, you will. I mean, there have been people all the time, guys have done the if love on girls so many times. 
in the backseat of a car. It could be at the parents' house and the parents aren't there and they're hanging out. And it's, if you love me, you will let me do this. That if love is a, a, a manipulation card that's played. I had a friend, I have a friend of mine. He's still a friend of mine. I'd like to punch him in the face, but he's still a friend of mine. And I overheard him say to another friend of mine that he was dating a girl and that he wanted to move in. I wanted this girl to move in with him. I don't remember which one it was. And the girl said that wasn't what she was going to do. That wasn't how she was going to prep herself for marriage. And so basically the conversation was, in no short order, well, I'm done with her. That was it. I'm done with her. She's not going to move in. She's not going to do this. I'm done. Again, that's why I wanted to punch him in the face. Because that's the if kind of love. That's a manipulation kind of love. That's a, that's a me first kind of love. Then there's another kind of love. It's called the because of love. It's the self-serving kind of love too. It's maybe not as manipulative, but it's, it's a kind of love that says, because you love me, because you love me, and how I, I see this played out is that there are expectations built into the love. And there are scorecards built into the love. The thing about these scorecards is they change, but they won't tell them. But they expect you to know that the scorecard has changed. Does anybody identify with this? You don't have to answer that because the person may be sitting next to you that you identify with that with. But if you've ever been in that relationship or ever seen the relationship where the scorecard changes, but the, because I've seen it, I'll just say it out here loud, okay? The number of couples who come to me and said, you know what, we're just not in love anymore. And we start breaking down what love is and all that kind of stuff. And we start breaking it down. It's like, well, I expect them to love me and to know how to love me. And then I dive behind it and says, but your card keeps changing. Your combination keeps changing. You know what I'm saying now? I can't, I can't figure out how to love you because the rules keep changing. This because of love is a very distorted, self-serving kind of love. So let's talk about deep love. Let's study the real stuff, the selfless, unconditional love that says, what are your needs? See, the first two start with me and end up with you, but this one starts with you and how can I serve you? And I know that there has to be mutuality in this, but again, I want to remind you, where is Paul? He's under house arrest in Philip in Rome. Can he come to Philemon? Can he come to Colossae? What if Philemon needs him? But he can't come. He's in, a, he's in a state where he's in a receiver mode. And guess what? Philemon is stepping up with no strings attached. Well, did he send a financial gift? I don't know. Did he send a note of encouragement? I don't know. What did he do? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Because we would make an excuse for it if we did. But what he does is he shows and he demonstrates a deep kind of love that fills Paul up with joy. And wraps him in comfort so that he knew he could live another day. The kind of love that gives and doesn't expect back. The kind of love that serves and doesn't have to be served back. It's an active kind of love. Bob Goff says that love is never stationary. It is moving. It is energy. It is forward. It is how can I serve you? 13th century Spanish missionary to North Africa to work in North Africa sharing the gospel said this, he who loves not lives not. 
He who loves not, lives not. Think about that. And then he goes on, he says, For living is loving, and without love is human person. The human personality disintegrates. That is why everybody is looking for authentic relationships of love. People are starving for love. Deep love, not conditional love, not because of love, not if love, not serve me first love. But if we took on the, 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 the personhood, again, not the how, that's next week, the who. If I took on the personhood of a deep love inside of me for you without any strings attached, then we're beginning to become a refresher ourselves. People will want to be in my presence and in your presence. Let's talk about a broad faith. Second quality of this kind of love is it's a broad faith. Again, not all love is the same. Not all faith is the same. There are people who talk about faith. I have faith. I have faith as if, as if faith is the object and the verb. Faith is a verb. It has to have an object. Who is your faith in? Self. Faith is in others. Faith is in religion. Faith is in what? Faith in what? Fill in the blank. But you've got to have faith in something. You can't have faith in faith. That's just like having faith in air or faith in nothing. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just no, there's nothing out there. Notice the level of faith that he talks about here. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward, here's the object, toward the Lord and for the saints. I love how he includes not only the Lord Jesus Christ, but he also includes the saints. There's a lot of people out there, if I ask you in this room today, how many of y'all love Jesus? You'd raise your hand. Because you're in church, you're supposed to raise your hand. All right? That's what you're supposed to do. But you talk to some people, do you love the saints? Oh, do I love the church? No. In fact, we say around here that we're a church for those who have given up on the church but haven't given up on God. We want to be that kind of authentic church because we realize that there's a lot of people who don't like the church. They maybe love God, but they don't like the church. The problem with that paradigm is, is it's very weak and soft in the middle because it's like saying this. This would be the equivalent of that. If the church is the bride of Christ, it'd be like you saying this, Mike, I love hanging out with you, but Lori, I hate. I I really don't like her. But now you, you're, you're, we're bros, man. We can do this. But Keep your wife at home. Keep your wife at bay. Dude, you just offended the other part of me. You don't do that. That is a part of who I am. If you don't like her, you're probably not going to like me. In fact, I don't like you now. There was a faith that was not just faith in God, faith in faith, faith in God, but it was a faith in the church, faith in the believers. And it doesn't just stop there. Look at, look, look at, verse, look at verse 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith, so it's not just something you keep to yourself, hey, everyone has their own faith, you have your faith, I have my faith. No, no, no. The faith is to be shared. It's a mutuality. It's actually the Greek word koinonia here. It's a a mutual, mutual kind of faith back and forth that I am sharing my faith with you, that your faith is making my faith stronger, that we're, 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 we're feeding off of each other. Sharing of your faith may become effective in the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. 
Our faith that doesn't point people to Christ is a weak faith. Again, the object is, 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 of the faith is just as important the fact that you have faith. Out in the gallery right now, there are three walls. You've passed by them week after week. A number of you have written names on the walls. As of the start of today, there was 415 names, as best I can count, on that board with their names written all over. 415 names of people who have... Who, you have said, I'm praying for this person. For the next year, I am dedicating my life. And maybe it's intentional. Maybe you have a set time like I do where I'm praying for my people. I'm praying for my ones. And I, and I, I can't count because I have three ones. Uh, so I'm praying for them every single day. And I prayed for them yesterday. I'll pray for them today. I'm looking for opportunities to throw seeds into, uh, of truth into their life. Maybe, 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 maybe one of these days. They will know the faith that I have. I will have shared my faith with them in such a way that, and that I will have loved and I, I, will have, I will have brought joy and I will have brought comfort to them that, hey, they'll say, I want what he's got. That's why we say share or show and share Jesus. I want what he's got. I, I want what he has because what I'm going to point him to is I'm going to point him to this one way, not five ways, not 10 ways, not 17 ways to connect with God. And it is in first Timothy chapter two, verse five, he says, there is one God. I think we can all agree with that. Hopefully you can. There is one God and there is one mediator, one person that's standing between us and God. Who is that? Because who that is, is I want to connect with that person. That person is, say it with me, the man. Christ Jesus. And I want to connect with Jesus because Jesus is going to connect me to God the Father and we will be connected. And what a beautiful thing. Well, on the board out there, let me tell you about a couple of names. Because you're going to see them next week because we're going to have our baptismal gathering next week. And it's all, I always love those because the stories that go with them that are tied together. Had a little man come down in the first gathering. I, I, don't, I don't know, maybe back in January, he gave himself to, uh, to, the, to the Lord and he came down and he said, I'm going to be baptized next week. And he just wanted to tell me. We prayed together at the front. So beautiful time together next week. But I, I want to I share with you that um, we had, we had uh, a, a person, Debbie, was her name? She wrote on there on the on the board Kim. I didn't know who Kim was. She wrote Kim on the board, and she's been praying for Kim. And Kim has become a follower of Christ in the past two weeks. Our first person, good Lord, a hand. That's one of their praise. That's right. Became a follower of Christ. I also, I had a, a guy named Richard. I put Rick on there because I thought he might come in and see his name, and so I put Rick on there. But his name is Richard, and uh, and he was one of my three. I've been praying for Richard. For two and a half years, Richard is my cousin, second cousin, and um, he came to church for the first time, probably in thirty years, to any church. Two and a half years ago, when a family member passed away, he came for a funeral, and on that day, God touched him and He began to work on him. Now I can't give you the whole story; it's an incredible story. But for two and a half years, he has not been a follower of Christ. I've been to their home. I shared the gospel with him. He was not interested. But what happened was a beautiful thing is Tom Ellis invited them to join their communitas group. Mary and Tom start pouring into to Martha and Rick, Rich, Richard, and they become followers of Christ two weeks ago. Give the Lord another hand. That's, a, that's an awesome thing. But how do you, how do you share? 
In a matter of two minutes, I want to show you how you can share Jesus with anybody with a napkin setting at a coffee shop. You start with circle number one. You can write this out if you want to. And I want you to start talking about the reality that we live in. And I'm writing on the grease board on a Sunday morning in front of a bunch of people. It's always going to be scary. If I spell, misspell something, just forgive me. Start with brokenness. Because all you have to do is turn on the news and you see brokenness. You see brokenness anywhere and everywhere. You see it in, in, in the shootings. You, you see it in, in, in the insecure marriages that are out there. You see brokenness everywhere and ever. And, and, and what, what do we do about it? How do, how do we get out of this cycle that never ends generational sins, generational brokenness, and we're having more and more of it? How do we get out of this? We've got to remember something. There was a God design. There was a grand scheme out there that God had a plan. He had a beautiful plan, an awesome plan. When he made the world, he made it beautiful. He made it good. He made a man and a woman. He put them in a garden. He said, this is good. This is right. He made the earth. He made this, this is good. This is right. He put things in order and it was good. It was God's design. What happened to that mess? One word, sin. I got verses for all these. Romans 3.23 is the worst verse for that. But you just got to realize that we've all broken. We're all broken. We're all... We, that, that's right there is the word that defines what happened to God's perfect world and our brokenness. Now, how do we fix that mess? Well, we've tried for a lot of years. We've tried religion. Try different religions. If that religion didn't work, try another religion. We've tried education. Okay, education. Okay, we've tried political answers to, to man's, mankind's problems. We've tried drugs, and legal drugs, illegal drugs. We've tried alcohol. We've tried gambling. All of this to fix a brokenness inside of us. Okay? But none of that connects us back to God's perfect design. Enter a man named Jesus. God becomes man and lives on this earth. Walked, taught, breathed, slept, lived life, gave an example, did miracles, showed that he had power over death, brought people dead back to life. Power over evil spirits, evil spirits came out of people. Power over the hung, uh, over, over nature. He could take five loaves and two fish and feed thousands of people. He had all kinds of power. He demonstrates that but he also willingly gave up his life and hung on a cross. Romans 5 verse 8 would be a verse for this one. That he commended his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. But he didn't just die. If you just leave him in the grave, if Jesus is just dead, no, there's no hope. Read 1 Corinthians 15. He rose to he rose to death. He rose to life again. He walked on this earth again. Five hundred people in one setting saw him. You talk about forever putting your stamp on this. He shows that he has power over death, hell, and the grave. So now, what? How do you connect all these two? How do you bring this? You got to realize that we've got to turn away from the very thing that has broken us. We've got to turn away from the things that have offended us from God. In fact, Matthew chapter 7, 21 says that it, it's not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So it is a matter of obedience and turning, but it's also trusting. 
Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 talks about that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. That's literally a trust relationship where we are turning our lives to a new direction, a new pathway. And when that happens, this born-again experience begins to happen inside of us. And it's a lifelong journey of now growing, 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 moving in the direction back to God's original design. That is why we have a life-changing faith and we cannot keep it to ourselves. We grow in pursuing uh, this whole design. I don't need to rewrite faith. I don't need to rewrite marriage. I don't need to rewrite life. I I just need to figure out what God's design is and head back in that direction. But the good thing is, is even though I'm here, I'm growing, I also need to realize I need to be going. In John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So he came into brokenness. We go back into brokenness. And we get to share with the world the hope of Jesus Christ. Martha sat in my office. Richard and Martha, I told you about, sat right up there behind the sound booth every first gathering on Sundays. Hasn't missed for two and a half years. I, she sat in my office and she told me about her faith experience because she grew up in a, a, a denomination where you got baptized and that made you saved. And she realized that she had done that, but she didn't feel any peace. She'd done that. She'd done the religious duty, but she didn't have any joy. She didn't have it. And she was, couldn't figure it out. And then she said in her own simple but profound way, she said, then I understood grace. Grace is God coming to us so that we can go back to God. It's not me getting myself good enough back to God. Some of you, here's the question I ask anytime I use this. In everyone in this room, look at here. You're either here or you're here. You're either still stuck in the broken state or through Jesus you're moving towards God's design. Which circle are you? If you have never given your life to following Jesus, I challenge you with two words. Turn and trust in Jesus. And let Him refresh you. You will never refresh anybody else fully and completely until you yourself have the faith that refreshes. I want to close with this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Though our outer self is wasting away. Can anybody deny that statement? Go look in the mirror if you don't think you are wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. We're getting younger, healthier, more alive on the inside than on the outside in a relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the things that Martha said yesterday to me, she said, Mike, what I have now, I never had before. I said, what difference has Jesus made in your life in a matter of a month? Because it's all she's been a Christian is for a month. She gave me one word. 
Just like she gave me grace, how she got there, she gave me one word to describe what is going on on the inside of her. Here, listen to this one word. It may not blow you away, but it should. She said, I have peace. I have peace. Peace. You can sign peace treaties and not have peace. Peace is an internal thing when you have a relationship with Jesus. If you don't have that today, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Right here, right now, give yourself to following Jesus. Around this room in a few moments, we're going to have prayer partners standing around. You go to one of them and say, hey man, I don't know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but I'm ready to follow Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? This quiet, still moment of reflection. I want to ask you this question. Is there anybody here today who says, Mike, I'm in the circle of brokenness. I'm in the circle of brokenness and I want to be in the circle of God's design. (laughs) I'm there and I want to be here. If you're here today and you say, Mike, I want to give my life to following Jesus, just lift your hand up and put it back down. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. This is a time where you and the Lord, you're just saying, Mike, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm going to pray. I want to pray that God would awaken us in this room, just like Martha, just like Richard, just like Kay. We're going to see their and hear their stories next week. God, I pray that you would open our own hearts right now. May your spirit speak to us right now. May your spirit quicken us right now to follow you, to give ourselves to the Jesus who changes everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.